because I, at least it describes my desire. As we start off this new year, we're going to start in the middle-ish towards the end of the book of Exodus, which is a weird place to start. But the last few years, really for the first time in my walk, uh, I've seen the beauty in the book of Exodus. To, to be honest, for a long time, I just I was in churches that ignored it. And then as I got closer to the historically black church, I, I began to realize the power of the story of the Exodus and around some pastors who, who were influenced by that more and more. I found myself going to the story of, of Exodus. And um, this November, there was a particular passage that I had read plenty of times, but it was that moment where you just read it different, or maybe the passage reads you a little bit, or there's an invitation in there that you've never seen before. And so I just want to give that to all of us as we start this new year. Kind of like I said last week, this is where I'm hoping our posture is for the year. I don't ha I'm, I'm never really a, a pastor who has this like, hey, there's a great hill, let's go take the hill. Here's this really clear powerful vision, like, I'll try to get better at that, folks, but really I'm one who's going to say, like, hey, maybe we can have this posture, maybe God will meet us here, and, and that's just what I feel much more called to. So uh, if you have a device or a Bible, go ahead and open to Exodus 24, and I would encourage you, like always, uh, if, if you have time this week and, and find yourself doing it, read some of the surrounding stuff. So we, it's always good to get the context a little. But real briefly, Exodus 24 is after this entire people group have left Egypt. And when they leave Egypt, they leave their whole life as, as laborers, and that's it, right? They were slaves, and that's all they, they were known for. That's all that their identity was. They were also leaving the Egyptian gods, the Egyptian culture, all of that come up with a new culture that was kind of their own. If you remember, they went into Egypt kind of as an extended family and left as a nation. So there's a little bit of who are we that has to be done and who is this God that we worship. In the desert, they're learning who God is and who God isn't. They're learning who they are and who they're not. And earlier in this chapter, in Exodus 24, the people, the nation, they, they pledge their loyalty to this God that led them out of Egypt. They say, we're going to be loyal to you. And, and God does this thing that we've heard of so often that we, we don't realize how powerful it is. God enters a covenant with these people. And, and a covenant of like, hey, I'm as committed to you no matter what. We're in this together. They're like like the ride or die kind of thing, right? And God is saying that to a people. And, and we know this, but that is not something that the gods did. The gods often were, were fickle and were often like, hey, if you do exactly what I want you to do, though I'm not going to tell you what that is, then I might like you for 10 minutes. And this God says, hey, you will forever be my people and I will forever be your God and I will give you all that you need to do this. And so the people, though they don't know what they're signing up for, which we, we could probably sit there for a while, right? Like we haven't known exactly what we're signing up for. Though they didn't know exactly what they were signed up for, they committed. We're in. And I don't think they were lying. I don't think they knew fully. 
But I think that was their heart's desire. I think they were very sincere and like, yes, we want to be faithful. Now, granted, a little bit later, they're going to make a calf and they're going to do a lot of really dumb things. But I think that their heart's desire here is like, yeah, God, we want to be faithful to you. Who you are is so other. It's so different. It's so distinct. And then this interesting thing happens. God calls the leaders up the mountain. And this mountain represents God's presence. That's who he calls like 70-some leaders. Hey, come, come up a little ways. And, and we know from the text that they're not up so far that the people can't get to them. Uh, the people get to see God's presence as well. And, and so I get that sometimes when a, in a text like this, we, we in our day wrestle with, like, how come some get more of an experience than others? And I get that, and we could talk about that. But we're going to just follow the text for, for right now. These, these leaders go partially up the mountain. And that's where I want to start in verse... In verse 9, the text reads this, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there was something like a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven, the very heaven for clearness. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, also, they beheld God, and they ate and drank. Now, that's not a ton of words in English, and there's some different ones that we don't always use, but there's some fascinating things happening here. So let, let's sit in this for a second. Under God's feet, there was something like a pavement of sapphire stone. So in this moment... God took on some sort of form that they would recognize feet. That's cool. Right? Like God had been a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. It took some kind of form that the elders would see, like that he has feet. I don't know if he was like 5'8 or 70 foot 3. You know, I don't know. It doesn't say. But somehow they were able to distinguish that God had feet. And under God's feet was something, I, I love the language here, and I don't know Hebrew, so I don't know what the Hebrew was, but it's something like a pavement of sapphire stone. Is <laughs> what it says. Under God's feet was something other, like heaven, like the, the way that things will be. Under God's feet, it was different. The these elders were all able to see something that was either hidden or was unseen. God just chose to show up like that. And then it says that they beheld God. They saw God. And at this time, sometimes because God says it, and sometimes because of cultural things, there's the idea of, like, if I see God, I'm going to die, right? And God does even say that this is before... The, the cleft of the rock and all of that kind of stuff. But, but they beheld God and they didn't die. In fact, what did they do? They feasted. They ate and they drank there on the mountain. In the presence of God's feet, at least. And this something like a sapphire. And I, I mean, I'm curious. I want to know, like, what did you eat? Like, ramen? Did, did you, like, have to bring, like, the little, like, military packs that you made because you were camping? Or did God provide some kind of feast? 
I mean, you're people in the wilderness. I, don't, I doubt they're eating super awesome, though there's manna every day. I mean, that's awesome. But, like, the delivery service was fantastic. I don't know what it tasted like. But they can't really get Uber Eats up the mountain. They can't get it catered. But somehow, all these elders, when God showed up, what God de- desired to do with them was feast. They ate and they drank. It reminds me of when Elijah was afraid and ran forever, like faster than a chariot. And when God met Elijah, what did God do? He'd sleep. Go ahead and rest. And then nudged Elijah awake and fed him and told him to rest again. Frankly, when we're tired, we should sleep. That's good. All of these 70-plus people are on the mountain. They get to see God, and they're not punished. They're not shamed. They're not any of that. They're feasting. And I bet you that food was... I don't know if it was kosher or anything, because that hasn't hit yet, but I bet it was awesome. That's a moment that I would love to experience, but that's not the pinnacle of experiencing God at this moment. Because it's at that place, I want you to picture it, where some form of God's feet are shown, and there's something like like the... uh, like the sapphire stone that is shown, the very, uh, that looks like the very heaven in its clearness, where there's feasting, where there's some way that they could see God in that space. The text goes on and says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Now there's this this Hebrew scholar uh, whose name is Lois Fergberg, and, and she said that almost every English translation puts this as, and wait there. And that's not wrong, but she would say that's not complete. The Hebrew phrase, they don't put the exact Hebrew phrase in because it doesn't really make sense in English, and so sometimes things get changed for clarity's sake, right? But what she said, it, it, that all scholars believe agree the word means struck me what the text really says is come up to me on the mountain and be here be here come to me on the mountain and then actually be there be present don't be down in that past memory of the sapphire and the feet don't be down further down the mountain where the people are about to melt their gold Be here with me. And when I read this, I I couldn't really read on. Because I felt like it was an invitation for me. Be here. The text goes on if you read 13 through 16. He says, come up to the mountain and be here, and I'm going to give you the law. And again, we've got issues with the law, because we live... We just live very different than people did really at any time in history. We see the law as somewhat restricting, and and really what this is is like, hey, remember, I made you, and now I'm going to teach you how it is that you're to function, how it is that you work, how it is that you live 
as a free society together. I'm going to give you the law. After that, justice is cared for. If you look at verse 14, he even says, hey, Moses, when you come up, I want you to be here with me, and I want you to know that if the people have a problem, they have access to you, your leaders that you train. They have access to make sure that everyone's cared for, that justice is done. None of that is being overlooked. What I want you to do is be here with me. Because what happens when we are there with God? Well, we're transformed. This is the time that Moses leaves the mountain. And he doesn't, the text makes it read like he doesn't really realize it, but his face is glowing so obnoxiously that he puts, he puts a veil over because everybody just keeps staring at him because he looks different. He's actually different being in the presence of God. And so when I read this, I've spent like parts of the last two months just, God, this is what I want. I mean, the sapphire thing would be cool, the meal would be cool, but I, I want to just be here with you. Like in my office, or here on Sunday, or in my car. And I took it as an invitation for myself, but today, I want to extend this as an invitation to you. What if we became a people who took on the practice of just being here, being present? I know that especially when it comes to faith, especially when it comes to Jesus, especially within our community, there's a stuff of like, but, but yesterday, these things, and tomorrow, these things. And to that, I, I really feel like our invitation is, no, let's be here right now. We need to process and heal from yesterday. We need to plan for tomorrow. I realize that. We also just need to be here and savor this, even in the midst of all the difficulty. I know there's a lot of these, these people say this or, or this church says this, and I know these voices are loud, but let's be here. Let's just be here. Believe God wants to speak. Not just in, I'm not just physically talking about church on Sunday. Like, wherever you are, I believe God wants to speak. So let's be here and hear it. There is COVID. There's uncertainty around that. There's other illnesses. That's, that's the weird part, right? It's like all these other ways that our, our bodies are decaying, and they seem to almost get ignored or slid aside, and care is different, and stuff feels all uncertain. All of that's real. And... We can be here. Even holding all that, it's not too much for God. We can be here. Now, none of this is about one church, but I do wonder, what if we committed? Because sometimes, like New Year's resolutions, if I write it on a piece of paper, I put it in a drawer and don't tell anybody, that's broken by the third, right? But I wonder if we could, like, kind of commit to one another. What if we will be present and expecting among the people? And maybe it's not here. I just mean any people. What, what if we were just people who committed to, no, you know what? I'm going to be in community, and I'm going to be present and expecting to experience God. Here's where this is coming from. This isn't everyone in the room and on Zoom, but this church more than any other community that I've been a part of 
has people who have left the land of where their faith once was. My faith once looked like this. It looks a little different now. My faith that formed my identity, my people, my every, my understanding, my worldview, I've kind of left that. Now I feel a little bit like I'm in a wilderness. And in this wilderness, I feel like we found each other. And we became a people partly because we have a shared time and space. We happen to live in or presently be in Louisville this weekend at this time. And so we're here. Or we found Zoom and we're able to virtually be together in this time and space. But the beauty of time and space is that is the very place that God enters. God comes at specific times. In specific places to specific people. And for some of us, our past keeps us a little bit skittish. People have told us what exactly God was like and exactly what God expected of us. And then we find in Scripture that it's a little bit different or it's a little not the same. And and it makes us just a little bit afraid of everything. But the trouble is, as we distance a bit to reevaluate, eventually that can sap our hope. It can end up just where Scripture becomes academic. And the idea of Jesus just becomes something that we can nuance and debate and, and wonder, but kind of hold at a little bit of distance. And among all the deconstruction and reconstruction of faith that is happening within us and has happened within me, I know that for me at least, I still believe that Jesus is real and is exactly who Jesus proclaimed that Jesus was, even when I misunderstand it, even when I think it means something different. I believe that Jesus is real and the Holy Spirit, I believe, seeks us out, not chasing us down with shame, but desiring to give us meaning and a real experience and a wholeness that's from the beginning to the end of Scripture. And I wonder if as we begin this new year, if we can commit to one another, that for this next bit of time, whatever that is, we're not putting rules on it, but for this next bit of time, that we will be a people who will be here. And again, I don't mean just in this building, but we'll commit like, yeah, I'm going to do a little experiment. And when I sense the Holy Spirit drawing near, I'm going to be there in that moment. I'm not going to run away because of past experience. I'm not going to run away because it's scary, because it can be. I'm going to be here. And in the moments that we find ourselves, we're going to be together before self-revealing God, willing to be transformed into a more honest us. I think that's what we see in Exodus. And I think if we're honest, that's what we desire, right? We don't gather just so that we can leave the same. And we don't gather so that we can be the pinnacle of everything. I think we know that we are broken, hopefully gracefully. (laughs) At least if you've hung out with me for 10 minutes, you know that's true. Hopefully gracefully. And with all of the past hurts and pains and missed shots and weird theology that we've all encountered, Jesus is Jesus. And God still wants to, desires to encounter us. And I don't know what it looks like when, when 
feet show up and sapphire and meals. And I, I don't know if that's what it is. I don't know if it's burning bushes. I don't know if it's like the road to Emmaus where our hearts just burn. I don't know if it's like where Saul becomes Paul. I don't know that it even has to be that dramatic or that profound. I know that sometimes for me, it's like opening up the scripture and realizing that the text says, come up to me on the mountain and be here. And the invitation that I feel in my heart is though I have every desire to run, I don't have to. And I have every desire to hide. It's not the invitation of God. God's desire for you, for me, is to make us whole. It's to experience who Jesus was, who Jesus is, to inherit all that is to come. And I, Jesus, I believe, is going to do all of this no matter what. That's guaranteed. And Jesus is going to bring peace and shalom, healing, all of that. Not because the world is gradually getting better. I don't believe that. I believe he's bringing that because he committed to bringing that. I believe that the ending is reconciled and whole because that's everything that I've read. But I don't want to miss it. And I don't mean this as a fearful thing. I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to be so attentive to the scary things that I miss God's presence. I don't want to be so attentive to the fact that it feels like we're in the wilderness that we miss God's presence that I miss yours. And so I guess I'm asking, can, can we be a people who commit to being here, whatever that looks like, and give this a shot? Not because even Exodus says it, or not because I said it at the beginning of the year, but because ultimately, though we might not know all that it means, we believe in, in Jesus. We believe that there's something to all this that our, our language probably fails to categorize everything correctly, but God never asked us to. And so to kind of celebrate this and to be together, to be here in this moment, we're going to end with communion. Uh, if you don't have a cup, Joshua, would you mind going? Oh, perfect. 